So we are quickly approaching Thanksgiving, and uh, I want to take the next two weeks and talk to you about just being thankful and having an attitude of gratitude. I think the older I get, the more I appreciate this holiday. I mean, it's becoming one of my favorites, uh, just reminding me to, to, you know, just have that appreciation and uh, have that thanksgiving. You know, one of the things I'm thankful for is the leadership of this church. Uh, I was just overly uh, appreciative that Greg stepped up to the pulpit and let me and Micah, you know, get away, but uh, uh, he did a fabulous job. And, you know, our, our leaders are such good communicators. Um, and, I, and the reason they're good communicators is because they're good listeners. Um, you know, one of the things that Greg was just talking about is how God was just speaking to him through his Sunday school class. Um, and, uh, and that's just what's really cool about our leaders is they are in the Word. They are listening to God. They have this relationship, and, and they're able to express it and share it from the pulpit, and I appreciate that so much. So uh, attitude, gratitude, and thanksgiving, it's been a, a focus of mine for a while. In fact, if you read any of my articles, the last two articles, actually kind of the last three, really, but, but especially the last two, that's really what it has been on. And, and when I sit down to write an article, I don't really necessarily have a plan. I just sit down and it's like, okay, God, what do you want me to say kind of thing? And I just sit there and try to stew about it uh, until I find something to, to write about and and. That's obviously, you know, what has kind of been in my thoughts and hearts because that's where I want to go, you know, when I, when I spent that time doing that, uh, is just talking about, you know, the power and the, and the importance of being thankful and grateful. Uh, two weeks ago, Boyd and I were on the phone talking, and he asked me this question. He says, what are you learning? Well, quickly I said, well, I'm in Matthew chapter five through seven, uh, walking through the Sermon on the Mount. And, uh, and that's kind of what I've been kind of spending my time. And, and I, I shared with him, you know, the thing that really c- captures m- my attention walking through that is just the little phrases that are so incredibly deep. Like, for instance, there in seven, you know, that's where we have uh, the, the uh, golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Like that sums up the law and the prophets, right? Um, and for Jesus to just make that phrase or just that saying uh, and how insightful and, and powerful it is. I mean, just think about that for a moment. If you just, if you did nothing else, you didn't pay attention to anything else written in this book, but you just did just that phrase, and that become your motto. That became what you gave, you know, lived every day for. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. You treat them the way you'd want to be treated. You, you know, when, when something happens, you do it the way that you would want, you know, it to be reciprocated to you. It would change everything. I mean, it would change the dynamics of every relationship you have. It would change your life, right? And so that's what I was sharing with him. And then he asked this question. He says, so... Uh, later, he asked this question, how does what you are learning change your today? And uh, that wasn't hard for me to, to answer either, because in reality, what I was learning just goes along with what I've already been focused on for a while now, and that is that, you know, I want to be more positive. You know, I want to be somebody who uh, appreciates others, um, that looks for the good in others, um, and tries to even, 
you know, point that out um, and uh, to live in that kind of thing. I want, I want to see, see the good. I want to celebrate the positive in everything. That's what I want. Um, in the good and the bad. And when you start to focus on something like that, all of a sudden you find yourself like wanting to speak about it, you know, just like what I'm doing right now and what I did in my articles and what, what came up when Boyd asked me the question. And, you know, I mean, when, when that becomes your focus to want to have this gratitude of attitude, all of a sudden you find it in a lot of different places and different people. And, 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 I, and I'm thankful for that. It, it's easy to be thankful when things are going good, is it not? I mean, the things are going just like you got perfect job, perfect, uh, you know, home environments and friends and all that. I mean, everything's going good. It's easy to see the, and be, have this attitude of gratitude. But I want to have the attitude of gratitude when, when it's those situations, like when everything's going good. But I also want it when things aren't going good. I just want to have it. It's like it's just consistent and constant in my life. Uh, I got to read my first, you know, not my first, but, but a, the first book to Mesa, you know, kid's book. Um, I kind of had a crowd. We were like laying in, Mesa and I were laying right there on our living room floor, and everybody was like watching us. But still, it was fun. It was like the, the little blue truck, and Carrie says she loves this book. And when I was reading it to her, I mean, she got so excited. I mean, I picked up the next book and read it, and she didn't even want to pay any attention to it, you know. So, so it was kind of cool. But it, but. You know, there's a little children's book, and I, I left it back there in my office. I was actually going to read to you some lines but, uh, from it. But there's another children's book that was given to us by our pediatrician when Andrew was a uh, little bitty. And it's called Alexander and the Horrible, Terrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. And that poor kid, he had a bad one. You know, like he got gum in his hair when he woke up, you know. And he just starts, everything goes bad. You know, he goes to the breakfast table and, and his brother gets a really cool prize out of the cereal box. And his, you know, I think it was his sister or something, gets a really cool prize out of the cereal box. But you know what he got out of his cereal box? Cereal. That's it. He got nothing else, you know. And he's heading to school and he stubs his toe at some point, and the teacher likes, you know, this boy's uh, perfect picture of, I don't know if it was, what it was, it was windmill or something, but she didn't even appreciate his invisible castle, in other words, a blank piece of paper, right? But he was just having a horrible, terrible, no good, very bad day. Um, and at the end of the book, it ends just by, uh, I mean, his nightlight wouldn't work, and you know, there's all these things even at the end of the day. And his mom's tucking him in and she just says, you know, some days are just like that, right? Uh, even when there's horrible, terrible, no good, very bad days, I want to be not like Alexander to see the negative and everything. I want to be able to see the positive. Um, and I want to have this attitude of gratitude. Um, another great book by the way, is it, it's called Man's Search for Meaning by, by Viktor Frankl. 
And, and Frankel was a Holocaust survival who, survivor who uh, wrote about his experiences in the Nazi concentration camp and just all the things that, you know, went on there. And they, man, they obviously, you know, I mean, they were terrible to these people. They stripped them of their clothing. They stripped them of everything, their dignity, even their name. I mean, he had a number, not even a name. His, his number was uh, 119-104 or 1,019-104 kind of thing. But but everything was taken from them, but all but one thing, and this is what Frankel uh, wrote about. He says, he says, everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. Now, I think he earns the right to say that, right? I mean, like, if he can say that, surely I can say that. Surely I can be encouraged when I'm having a no good, terrible, very bad day, be able to say, I can, I can have a good attitude in this. I can adjust myself in this. You know who had an Alexander kind of day? Paul and Silas. That's where we're going to be in Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas had a, a no good, very bad day. But the reason I want to study this today is because even though they had a horrible, terrible, no good, very bad day, they didn't, they didn't feel like that. I mean, like, they, they had an attitude that was different than Alexander, you know, in the little children's book. They had an attitude that was different than most of us when we have one of these kinds of days. They had an attitude of what I want. You know, and so when I look at the scripture, I'm just like, okay, is there is there anything that is here that we can like pull away from this scripture and apply it to our lives? Because I don't know about you, but I, I would love to have the attitude that Paul and Silas have. And I know that you you know, unless you're reading it right now, you're you're wondering even what's going on. But they have the best attitude, an amazing attitude in the midst of what's going on. So I just, we're not going to read the chapter, but I encourage you to, to do so your, on, your, on your own time there. But, um, but I want to set the scene. In fact, I want to set the scene uh, maybe even a little before uh, our scripture. Because just before Acts chapter 16, um, well, actually it's in 16. Yeah, okay. So, so just before where I'm fixing to set the scene by, they're in Troas, and they find this lady by the name of Lydia, and she's a seller of purple uh, cloth. And Paul and Silas, because they're on this mission, you know, one of the things they do is share Jesus with her. And she is super interested, becomes a Christian and everything. And so everything is just amazing. You know that Paul and Silas, anytime you've ever done that, you, you've ever found somebody that's hungry, for, you know, God and spiritual truth, and you get to share that with them, and they just devour that. It puts you on a spiritual high yourself. You just feel like, man, this is awesome. And so Paul and Silas is just coming off of this kind of thing. And so they come into Philippi, which is where we're kind of picking up on our story, and there's this slave girl that, that is there. She, she has this demon possession, and in the midst of being possessed by this demon, she's able to tell, tell that, you know, she's a fortune teller. She can tell, the, you know, the fortune of people and stuff. Um, 
Her owner loves this, because if you can imagine, he is making a, a buku amount of money off of this slave girl because she can tell these fortunes. So, but, but Paul and Silas sees it for what it is, and that is that this girl needs to be you know, relieved from this demon. And so they cast out this demon and give her freedom, a good thing. But it doesn't go over so well with the owner of this slave girl because he just destroyed his business of making a profit off this, this girl. And so that's where in verse 22 of chapter 7 it says the crowd joined the attacking them because obviously this owner started attacking them. And the crowd joined it, and the magistrates tore their garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And that's what they begin to do, and then they end up casting them into prison. And so that's where Paul and Silas, if you can imagine, coming off this high, going to this town, finding this other girl, casting out a demon, I mean, and they would have just been like, this is awesome, being a part of, uh, of God's mission in this way, and then things just turn like on a dime. Oh, I mean, just instantly, they're being beaten and thrown in prison. And so obviously, they have one of those Alexander kind of days, right? They're, they're put in like the inner dungeon, and they're shackled, you know, with their, their feet and arms, and they, have, they can't even move around freely. The, the key verse that I want us to really focus on most of our time here is just in verse 25. Because what does it say? Around midnight, Paul and Silas were complaining about their circumstances. No, they weren't. That's what, that's what, like, that's what you would expect it to read, actually, right? I mean, they were just put in a really bad, horrible, terrible, no good day. And it sets that, and, and most of those horrible, terrible, no good days are like the, the breeding ground of complaining about your situation. But they're not. What are they doing? It says, around midnight, Paul and Silas were, were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Even the other prisoners were shocked by their attitude. And that's the thing about, you know, having such an attitude of gratitude. Because if you know anybody that just seems to have that, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the situation, that they just have this, this godliness, you know, and a, a godly attitude, um, it's, it's like you pay attention, don't you? I mean, it's like contagious, too. You want to be like them. Like, when I read this, I'm like, I want to be like this. I want to be like Paul and Silas when I have those bad days. And it is contagious, and people were listening. But I just want us to take a moment and just try to, try to figure out, like, is there any keys to how they did this? How did they do it? How did they have such an attitude of gratitude in the midst of this? And, and I think the overarching, like the one point that I want to make, and then we're going to make two little sub-points underneath that, but, but the one point is, is that they, they kept their eyes on the big picture. I think when we become complainers is because we are not looking at the big picture. We're just focused in on the, the circumstance at hand, like the, the, the thing that gave us 
a very bad, horrible, no good day. Like Alexander, he, he was focused on the day and the moments of the day. And I think that because of that, it actually led to even some of the bad things that happened to him. If you go back and try to analyze the story. But his mom says, well, some days are like that. She didn't say, well, son, you're just going to have to get used to it because most days are like that. I mean, that's not what she said. Like, most days aren't like that. Uh, most days are, are days that we, we can be thankful for, but there are days that we are going to have horrible, terrible, no good days. But there's still days that we can be thankful. Here, here's something interesting. Um, um, Mark Batterson, he tells about a fascinating uh, research study done by Victor Medvik. And Medvik is a professor in Northwest University. And she studied the Olympic medalists. And what she found out was pretty intriguing. What she found out is that the, the bronze medalists are much more content and happy than the silver medalists. And here's why. The silver medalists almost were the gold medalists, like, right? I mean, they just didn't quite make it. And so it's hard for them to be satisfied with a silver medal when they think that, man, they were, we were, I'm like, I was so close to being a gold medalist. And then they don't have any satisfaction. But the, the bronze medalists have this attitude. I almost didn't make it to the pulpit, right? I mean, the podium. I almost didn't make it there. And, and, and I'm just grateful to be a bronze medalist and be a part of all of this. Totally different, isn't it? And, and I think that there's something really significant about her study that is just like, it's just part of nature. I mean, really what it is is the silver medalist is choosing an attitude for which they're going to have, and so is the bronze. And it just comes from a different perspective, but that different perspective makes all the difference. What I think we have here is that we have Paul and Silas choosing to have the attitude of a bronze medalist. Choosing to, to just be grateful for being a part of this mission that God has got them on, regardless of where they are. And, and I, I know that this is just the way Paul is, because later that church was established in in Philippi, and he wrote a letter to that church. It's called Philippians. And this is what he said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, about talking to those people out of what he experienced when he was with them, right? This is what he says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. In other words, he's talking about not that I have arrived or that I am perfect or, you know, or anything of that sort. But what he says, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies ahead and straining toward what lies, I mean, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul is just, he's just grateful to be a part of the kingdom of God. Do you remember what changed his life? It was that bright light, right, when his name was Saul. And, 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 that, and that out of that bright light came the voice of Jesus and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul come to his senses, and he's just like, what should I do? And he was baptized. And you, you remember we talked about that here not too long ago. And that moment when he realized, when he saw the light, 
literally and spiritually, his life was forever changed. And his life was forever filled with just gratitude that he is just getting to be in Christ and to be a part of that. Paul and Silas chose to be positive in their outlook. And it could have gone either way, right? I mean, they could have been positive in in their situation, or they could have been negative in their situation. Um, We watched a movie last yesterday uh, as a family. It's called Red Notice. It was with Dwayne Johnson and and Ryan Reynolds. It's okay, you know, um, as as a family movie, mature family movie, okay? It's PG, but it's crazy the words that they allow the, you to use even in a PG thing. But, but the whole reason I bring that up is this, that Ryan Reynolds, it, they, they're always finding themselves in these tight situations. I mean, bad situations, like they get thrown into prison and they get captured and they get shot at and all this. And, and he's the comic relief. And the whole point uh, that I'm pointing out is just that anytime they're in prison or something, it's like he's always seeing the, the good of it. I mean, he's, he's making light of it. And the reason that we find that to be funny is because... That's not normal, right? It's not normal to be thrown into prison or to be shot at or, or, and, and to make light of it. It's usually normal for us to complain and, and, and you know, gripe and see everything bad about it. But this is what's kind of awesome about this story is because Paul and Silas are not doing what's normal. What are they doing that's catching everybody's attention? They are praying and they're singing praises. You know, they're singing praises. They could have focused on what was wrong with their situation instead of what was right about life. And, and that's what I'm trying to get at. So they could have focused on the circumstance, like where they were and what was going on at the very moment, instead of focusing on what was right about life, the big picture. Because what's right about their life? They're in Jesus Christ. They have salvation. Everything spiritually is taken care of. What these people, what can these people do to me? Because I have Christ. I mean, it, it changed everything on their perspective. And so the big picture is why they were able to focus in a positive way. They, they could have complained about their circumstances. They and, and who would have blamed them? I mean, none of us would have blamed them because m- most all of us would have done the same, you know, done that, uh, complaining. But they could have said, you know, God, we cast out a demon and this is what we get. I mean, we were missionaries for you. We just got through saving Lydia and we get here and we cast out this demon from the... And, and this is where, this is the thanks we get for doing this. You're supposed to be watching our backs. And now the only thing that's going on with our backs is that they're bleeding from the beating, right? This was, they could have gone on and on all day long talking about how miserable they were to each other instead of praying and singing praises to God. What would it have gotten them if they would have done the opposite? I don't know. I think God would have just let them sweat there for a little long while longer, maybe. I don't know. I, that's the way I think sometimes. You know, I just think, man, I better get my attitude right, or God's going to keep, keep me here for longer than I want to be. And whether that's right or not, that's kind of where my thinking goes a lot of times. But that's not how they chose to do it anyway. And they chose to keep the big picture in mind. 
And that's so important for us when we look at this. So around midnight, when things were quiet and dying down, and most people would have been crying and whimpering at midnight in the circumstance that they were in, they began to let's pray, and they began to sing hymns and songs of praise. What did it get them to be positive? It got them freedom. I mean, what you're going to see here in a moment, in a a real quick moment, is that it got them physical freedom. Like, they were released in a very miraculous way. But before the release of their physical freedom, they already had emotional freedom, didn't they? I mean, they weren't... They weren't had all this anxiety and all of, all these things that put us in like this emotional prison because of our attitudes. Rather, they were already freed emotionally because of their attitudes was the right kind. And the reason that they were emotionally free is because they were focused on the big picture, which is what? They were spiritually free. Their spiritually free, spiritual freedom that they chose to focus on gave them emotional freedom, which led to their physical freedom. I really think there's a progression there for us to learn from, too. I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm really trying to do this. I'm really trying to be more positive in everything that I do. And I don't have, like, these gigantic stories to tell you, you know, but I do have one that's it's at least personal to me, and that is, you know, because I've been trying to focus on this. We, last week, Mike and I, he flew home from North Carolina, and the two of us went out to protection like we did last year. We hunted for about four days. Uh, and last year, other than he was, like, super sick, right? And, and, uh, and I, was, I had kind of an ear thing going on, too. Um, we saw a lot of big bucks and had a lot of big encounters. He shot at a deer. I shot at a deer last year, and these things were huge and all this, and we couldn't wait to get out there. This year we go out there, nothing. I think we went a, a week and a half too early for one, but, but he didn't see any bucks. And I had one encounter, but, he, you know, and it was a terrible uh, encounter, and it was just kind of a mess up on my own. But uh, there's just nothing. But here's the thing about that is that people would ask me, so how's it going? i tell them, and they're like, oh, man, that's too bad, you know. It would have been real easy for me to be like, oh, yeah, it's terrible, you know. But it's not, that's not what came out at all. In fact, that's not even what I felt. What I felt is just so much gratitude to just be there. Like, I, it was so easy for me just to see the big picture and all of it instead of looking into just the, the small thing of not having, you know, the hunting part wasn't good. But everything about it was good. Mike and I just had the best time and being able to just hang out with him and getting reconnected with some of the people there and just being in God's creation and still getting to see, you know, just all the, the changing of the colors. and every, I mean, just everything about it was just great for me. And I know it's because I kept the big picture in view instead of just focusing in on these little things. I think that's one of the big keys here and, and, and so how did Paul and Silas do that? How did they keep the big picture? There's two little points that I want to put underneath that that will help us. And that is one we've already talked about. And, and the first thing they did is they worshiped. 
If you want to always keep the big picture, you've got to be somebody who worships. You've got to be somebody who worships not just in the good times, but in the bad times. You've got to always just realize that you need to have your focus upon Jesus. And that's what they did. They focused on Jesus. Worship is it's taking our eyes off of the external circumstances in our life. So it doesn't matter what's going on in our lives. When we worship, it, take, it takes our mind and our eyes off of that, and it puts it on something that is much bigger than that, and that is God. And when we put our things, our, our, our eyes upon he who is able to do immeasurably more than we can think or imagine, right? When we do that, then everything seems like it's going to be okay. Paul and Silas just had the ability to do that. And, and that's why they were able to worship. Worship does a lot of things for us. One of the things it does is it recenters us. It like, it like gives us this balance and, and perspective again about what's, what's really important. I, um, Matt Batterson also tells a story. Uh, it's just a letter that he reads, but it says, uh, Dear Mom and Dad, I have so much to tell you because of the fire in my dorm that was set off by the student riots. I experienced temporary lung damage and had to go to the hospital. While I was there, I fell in love with an orderly, and we, had, and we moved in together. I dropped out of school, and I found out that I was pregnant, and, we got, and he got fired because he was drinking. So we're going to move to Alaska where we might get married after the birth of our baby. <laughs> Could you imagine? Uh, your loving daughter, P.S., none of this really happened, but I did flunk my chemistry class, and I wanted to keep it in perspective. <laughs> and I've read things like that. You know, they were diff- different stories, but, but the reality is, is that sometimes it's easy to, to just go right to that one thing, and it just, like, makes it seem so much horrible than what it really is. But in that case, you know, she just wanted her parents to see the big picture. I'm not pregnant and my, my husband isn't drinking. We didn't run off, you know, blah, 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 all these things. That's what worship does for us, right? When we worship God, it helps us see just how amazing and big and awesome he is and he's got our back and everything is going to pan out in the end. And so then these little things are just little things instead of these gigantic things in our lives. And so that's one of the things. Here's the second thing, how they are able to keep the big picture, and that is that they didn't, they, they didn't focus on themselves. They continued to focus on others. Now you're like, how, did, how do you see that, Mike, in, in this story? Well, think about it. Here's, here's the rest of the story. We already kind of hinted towards this, but they're, they're shackled. And the, the jailer was under orders to keep them shackled for his life, you know, kind of thing. And there was an earthquake. Well, who do you think sent the earthquake? I'm pretty sure it was God. I don't think Paul had anything to do with it or Silas had anything to do with it. But that earthquake just so happened to broke them loose of their shackles. They were leaving and they spotted that the jailer was about to commit suicide because... His prisoners had escaped. Now, most everybody that I know, in a given situation like that, would have been thinking about whom? Not somebody else and their well-being, but about themselves and them getting out of that situation. 
But Paul and Silas just stop in their tracks, and they just start giving aid to this. But it makes sense if you look back into their history and how they were willing to do anything for other people. That's, that was, like, we can't overlook that because that's like a huge thing of reason they're able to keep the big picture, the reason that they are able to sing praises in the midst of their horrible, terrible, no good, very bad day is because they were focused on others and not on themselves. And so they just stop where they are. And what comes out of that, by the way? They tell this man about Jesus. This guy wants to be baptized, and all of his family wants to be baptized, and so they're all connected with Jesus forever. How, how all of a sudden on the mountaintop do you think Paul and Silas are again? I mean, that Lydia story was awesome, but now this story? Oh, my goodness. And it was just because they focused on somebody else. And here's the thing is, not only did that man benefit spiritually and all of his family benefit spiritually, but Paul and Silas received something in the midst of that. And that is just this attitude of gratitude just continued to multiply in their lives. You want to have a gratitude in any given situation? Then you've got to start looking at other people's problems instead of your own. Like, you got to take your eyes off of your circumstance. And, we, and here's the thing is, do you think there's enough problems in other people's lives to look at? We all have them. And so, therefore, that means that there's a whole lot for you to look at and to gaze into when you look outside of yourself. And when you do, there's just something that is, it's, it's universal. Like, everybody knows this. That when you... When you take your attention and you, and you take it off yourself and you place it on other people's problems, all of a sudden you're, pre, you're, less, you're less occupied in, uh, on you and your problems than on other people. Your, your brain, they say, becomes energized when you do this. Instead of being in, imprisoned and feels like you can't even function, all of a sudden you feel like you want to get up out of bed. You want to go do this and that. Now, is this easy? I don't think so. I think it takes a lot of effort, intentional effort, and a lot of trial and a lot of practice. And that's why I've been trying to practice this. It's because I know that it's not just instant. It's something that we just have to try to work on. But Paul and Silas, they were busy. What were they busy doing? They were on a mission. Their own mission? No. They were on God's mission, right? They were not on a mission of self-fulfillment. They were on a mission to rescue others from extinction, spiritual extinction. They were just trying to help people have this eternal life that they have found themselves in. And they wanted to try to share it. And Paul and Silas did, did something amazing for this family, but in the process of doing that and focusing on this jailer, they ended up getting something amazing out of it. If you Google, and just do this, I mean, you don't even have to say it exactly like this. This is how I Googled it. But if you just Google, what are the benefits of focusing on others? If you just Google that right there, you would be amazed of like all of the, the titles that pop up. And it'll be titles from like a preacher telling you the benefits of focusing on others. It'll be a psychiatrist, a sociologist, a, uh, um, a, a, 
you know, uh, I don't know, I mean, a doctor, on and on. It'll be different people from different professions all telling you exactly the same thing, and that is there's tremendous benefit of you focusing on somebody else other than yourself. Just things like, like um, you will be more mentally healthy, mentally. you also be more physically healthy, like you... You won't have ulcers and things of those sorts. You'll, ha- you'll have a healthier body. You will be psychologically, you, you will just function better. You will be happier. You will live longer. You will have more drive to your day. You will have more purpose when you wake up. They say that you will be more loving. You know, you'll be more contentful. I'm just saying there's not like, you're not going to find like, Beware of focusing on others because there's a lot of drawbacks to that. There's no drawbacks. The drawbacks come if you're doing the opposite. If you're just constantly focusing your attention on all of your own problems instead of somebody else's problems. That's one of the things. You know, I'm absolutely convinced that the most important choice that we can make every day is having an attitude like Paul and Silas. Because we're all going to run into no good, horrible, very bad days, right? And for us just to have that. The outcome of your life will be determined by the outlook on life. I decided when I embarked on this, trying to fix my gratitude and attitude, I decided I don't want to be a grumpy old man. <laughs> and you know how you become a grumpy old man? Is when you, when you see things to complain about everywhere you look. And, and you, when, when you... When you're always finding the negative and people and circumstances and situations... Let me tell you, that's one of the biggest reasons I quit listening to the news. And I got rid of my Facebook. Some of you already know that I got a Facebook account again. It's under Pop Elrod. There's like five people that I have friended. It's probably going to stay pretty short on the list. And the only reason I did is because of that little grandbaby of mine. And my son and his new wife moving to North Carolina. And I felt like I was missing out on some of the things. And I don't want to miss out. But what I don't want is I don't want to be focused back in on so much negativity. And I don't want to be a grumpy old man. And I know grumpy old men are complainers. They seek negative in everything that they, is around them. And they're critical about everything. And they're not like Paul and Silas where they're just singing praises and hymns and praying. So what have we learned today? Let's focus on the big picture. How do we do that? We worship. We keep our eyes on Jesus. And we focus on others. And we get involved with their situations and we help with their problems. I want us to move from here to here, the table. 
And so I just want to try to transition that a little bit here. You know, pessimists will always see something bad in a good situation, right? An optimist will always see something good in a bad situation. It's like the opposite. And Paul had both of those things going on, right? So as we were just talking about, before Paul became Paul, like he had a different name, and that was Saul. And this was before Jesus came into his life. And when his name was Saul, and before Jesus came into his life, he still was a God-lover, right? He still was pursuing God. But he was a pessimist. He saw negative in everything. In fact, the enemies that he considered enemies of God, he just decided they're my enemies and I'm going to kill them. And that's what he was doing. That's why Jesus, when Jesus changed him and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? In other words, why are you killing my followers? Because that's what he was doing in chapter 5 when, when Stephen was stoned to death. Paul was holding the garments of his, his followers as they stoned Stephen. And so a pessimist is that, just behaves that way. They're very destructive in everything that they do. And when Saul at one time, he was like that. He was a God lover, but he was pessimistic, and therefore he was killing others. When he became Paul and Jesus changed him, he became an optimist. Instead of, Jesus still has enemies, right? The Bible tells us that he has enemies. But instead of killing the enemies, what does he start doing? He begins to save the enemies. That's what optimists do, isn't it? And I think when we come around this table for us just to remember that, because I think what communion is, it is looking in the face the most optimistic person that we have ever met, and that is Jesus. Like this what communion is, is like looking Jesus in the face and just say, you know what? I'm still on, I'm still on your side. I'm, I'm still with you on this. Though the world gives me horrible, terrible, no good, very bad days, I will worship you. And I will continue to do what you started, and that is to save your enemies. What did Jesus say on the cross when he was bleeding this blood for us? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then he's he's asked us to continue that. It It is important for us to be optimists, because we are followers of the greatest optimists ever. And optimists are all about saving others. Not ridicule them, not complaining, not criticizing, not attacking, but offering love. And so as we come to this table here, let us just be reminded what he's called us to be. Let's pray. Father God, we uh, thank you so much for this day. We thank you, Father, for giving us so much to be grateful for this eternal life that you've given us and saving us from ourselves, from our destructive behavior, our sinfulness. It's so amazing. It's so easy for us to take it for granted, for us to just 
be focused on other things instead of it. But, but Lord, when we do focus on it, it does call us to just worship you and to sing praises to you. And so, Father, as we gather here and we partake of this juice and this, this bread that represents what your son Jesus Christ did for us, we just pray, Father, that you would make us more grateful of heart, that you would make us optimistic people that are all about laying down our freedoms to rescue those you have died for. Father, this time of the year is all about reaping, and that's really that's, that's what we find ourselves in in our little series here is, is reap. Help us reap, Father, this attitude. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.